Margaritas. It's Dr. Stacy Sims. Her book is Roar, How to Match Your Food and Fitness to Your Unique Female Physiology for Optimum Performance, Great Health, and a Strong Lean Body for Life. Um, yes, please give me all of that. She talks about period power. Yep, women have periods. Why women need to work with their female physiology, not against it, and how diet culture and training culture all cater towards a man, and that women need to fuel and train differently because women are not small men. Here's my episode with Dr. Stacy Sims. Thanks for having me. Of course. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said yeah. I seriously, I'm so, I'm like honored to have this time with you. I have so many questions, and any fitness question that I have, I would want to be able to talk to you, and you're here. <laughs> all right it's so exciting um i wanted to start by like i don't know illuminating um a topic that a lot of people don't talk about and maybe enlightening some of the men on here and just say it out loud women have periods yep they do (laughs) they do and as they get older they have perimenopause and menopause which are other things people don't talk about yeah, we're going to have to talk about that because I'm coming up on 40 in a couple months. Ooh. <laughs> I just want to kind of young. <laughs> You're so young. What's going to happen to me? I feel like we're like the same age. You look so young. You're in the best shape ever. And I wanted to kind of talk about how you uh, got to write the book. Like you started researching how men and women react differently to like temperature, right? And they, how they adapt to heat. And then it kind of mm-hmm. turned a little bit and became more what you talk about. Yeah. <laughs> How'd that happen? Yeah. Yeah. How'd that happen? Um, so I guess when I was doing my PhD, I was really interested in what was happening between the menstrual cycle with regards to how women tolerate heat. And as you start getting more and more into it, there wasn't a lot of research there. So then my whole PhD was looking between menstrual cycle phases or contraceptive pill, progestin only men and women how fluid balance differs, how heat tolerance differs. And then I got into the hydration space. And I think I was a month before my daughter was born, we launched our first hydration company. So I like did everything you're not supposed to do, have a kid, move place, gave up my career at Stanford, right? And launched a startup. So it was just crazy town. Wow. And we, I really wanted to do a women's specific line because of all the stuff that we know that it's different for women. And people were like, well, what? This doesn't make sense. Why can't we all just use the same sports drink? And the market wasn't primed for that at the moment. And so now what we're 10 years later and we're still kind of fighting it, but that's, you know, it was the first foray into trying to get out of academia and to be the front person of saying women are not small men. And it was really eye opening about how much pushback there was still get a little bit pushback, but, a lot of people are starting to become receptive to the fact that women respond to things differently. And now we're, we're starting to see some good research about it, but man, it's been forever, forever. And it was because it was basically laziness. People were like, why would you want to study women? It's too complex. They have periods. And you're like, it's half the population. And you're just kind of exactly. And honestly, exactly. My book, um, it ended up being called squats and margaritas, a journey to finding balance because it's how I kind of overcame decades of, eating disorders, bulimia, anorexia, restricting my calories, and then kind of found this balanced lifestyle where I'm not in the gym seven days a week. Um, I lift heavy. I eat all the time, which women are not taught. And it was basically, it could have been called 
to the woman working out and not seeing results, here's how it worked for me. And I wonder after reading your book, how many women are frustrated and not seeing results because they're following the fitness guidelines on how to lose weight, but that's adapted for a man and not a woman. Yeah. It's so endemic. Like we look at recreational female athletes and I'd say like from our research, we know that over 50% of women who exercise on a regular basis are in a low energy availability status. So when we talk about low energy availability, of course your body's not going to respond because in order to build muscle and lose body fat, you have to have abundance. Your body has to be like, oh, that's okay. I can burn these calories and I can get rid of extra body fat because I have enough stuff coming in. But when you look at all the diet trends, it's all about calorie restriction, food restriction, fasted training. So it's like all of these things that don't support exercise. So women are like hitting the gym every day, doing high intensity work, and they're just putting themselves in a hole. And it's like, you got to back off and you also have to fuel appropriately. Yes. And nobody tells women that like women are told calories in versus calories out. Do your cardio. And I was at the gym. You could not pay me, Dr. Stacy, to take a day off. Seven days a week, I'm on like an elliptical or a treadmill. And honestly, like my background, I played soccer since I was four. And then I got a division one soccer scholarship, trained like intensely for that because I had to come in and win all the fitness competitions. And I ended up not seeing a lot of playing time. And I really wasn't used to that. <laughs> and ended yeah. up quitting my sport, which could be a whole different episode that I would love to talk to you about, but I don't even know if we can get into it, but like losing that athlete identity, which is like the only thing that gave me value and worth. And then it was like, you're not a soccer player anymore. Like, what, what do you do now? Like, I, there was nothing else. And I fell into depression and I fell into bulimia. Um, but before that, I, I don't know if you saw it. I sent you a picture of a page in my book. I wrote down that when my eating disorder started, I was like, I turned 15, I'm playing varsity soccer in high school. I got my period and I started gaining weight. So the rest of my high school career was devoted to losing that weight because skinny equated to better for soccer. So my period, not even knowing that like that spurred all the eating disorders because I was like, wait a minute, no, I can't gain weight. And I got super, super skinny in high school. And then, but it was good because I was fit, like for soccer, like just skinny. Yes. Or I wouldn't yeah. eat carrot because it was a starchy carbohydrate, like let alone any carbohydrate, which I know your research too. It's like women are afraid of carbohydrates and you sit, then they're going to the gym and working out every day and you, you have nothing fueling you. It's like all the research out there is working against women because it wasn't done for women. And I just applaud you right. for finding that space and like writing this book. Oh, thanks. Thanks. I, I'm a, a bit selfish about it because first it was, you know, all the stuff that I'd learned, I wanted to help my friends and teammates. But now I want my daughter to grow up in an environment she doesn't have to face the kind of stuff that we had to face yeah. with the body image and the poor dietary choices and the calorie in, calorie out. She loves soccer. So she'll be right in there. Right. You know? Um, yeah. And at nine, she's already talking about, you know, Oh, she doesn't feel like she's skinny enough because some of her friends are faster. And I was like, yeah, no, 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 no. Nip it in the bud, Dr. Stacy, get it now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, Oh my God. I hope she's your, is your only child. Yeah. So I've heard like firstborns, which is me and only children. It's that perfectionist obsessive personality, which in some regards, it's like, that's so great. You, they, they train so hard and they, like, I would go, <laughs> I would go back the next day 
in high school and retake A minus quizzes. Because if you came in an hour early, you could go and get the A. And my sisters are like, what the hell are you doing? Like, they'd get a B and be like, that's fine. But I was so driven for everything to be perfect. And it <sighs> turned into an eating disorder. Like, because I was like, I have yeah. to be great for soccer. And then I got my period and it was like weight gain and other people like, I saw it and I, I had to do something about it. And I didn't have social media. I can't even imagine, like my daughter's five. I can't oh, imagine gosh. what they will have to deal with. Like how the pressure that I felt with no social media and like cyber bullying and all that, it's gross. I know. I'm worried about that. So yeah. No, the fact all that right. you're cognizant oh. of it with a nine-year-old is like lay the foundation, like no, and that you have the knowledge because it's not calories in versus calories out. When you do that, I would be like, I'm just gonna eat salads. I would, I was starving. I would be done with a workout, but I would be, and I'd be hungry, but it, it sounds so ridiculous now, but it'd be like, well, it's not lunchtime yet. I just had breakfast, I can't eat. Like I'm gonna save my calories for lunch. So I'm basically bombing my body with three big meals a day, not snacking because I'm saving calories and my body shut off. It was like, all you do yep. cardio seven days a week, you don't eat. And in my mind, I'm like, all I do is cardio seven days a week. I don't eat and I'm frustrated because I'm not losing weight. But that is not what changed my body was eating more often, which someone with an eating disorder telling me to eat more often to lose weight was just, I, I couldn't buy it. It's so, so hard. No. So hard. Not, yeah. That's no. not what we're taught. Right. I know. I mean, I have that with um, some of my professional athletes when it's a power to weight ratio that they're so concerned and like management might tell them, oh, you need to lose weight in order to be successful at this hilly race for my cyclist or on this particular um, race course for triathletes. And so, you know, they're all, well, on my recovery days, I'm only going to eat a thousand calories. It's like, no, because you're still moving around. Like, your, it's your so it's, going. Yeah. Yeah. And they won't eat enough to support the training that they're doing. And then when you start telling them you have to eat an extra thousand calories a day, they're like, what? No way. Yes. But you slowly eke it in, in and around training, calorie count comes up and their performance just skyrockets. And they're like, what the, what's going on? I'm finally responding to my training. It's like, yeah, because you can. You're fueling your body and you were afraid to. Yeah. <laughs> because women yeah, exactly. And you're like, you're right. In the book, like, it starts at puberty. Like you have to have that message then because you're I, in your book you're saying like that's when women like stop sport because they they're yep. like their hormones are out of whack and they're gaining they're gaining weight and they just like quit and it's like you can manage it if you know how to right that's exactly it and when we look at like um the co-ed soccer or like swim teams and stuff right yeah no one talks about how you need to retrain the different techniques and stuff. So the girls start feeling not only, Oh, do I have my period and I'm gaining weight, but I'm also not very good at my sport anymore, but it's not because they're not very good. It's just their bodies have changed and they haven't been retaught the fundamentals. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, we can really address this around that puberty change and keep our girls confident and in their sport without having to go down the road of eating disorders and bone stress injuries and getting into full relative energy deficiency in sport and have issues forever. Right. So, yeah. And the, you reading your book, it made me think like, I can't even, I can't think of one female coach I had as growing up or as a teenager. And during that time, like a, a male coach is not going to even say period. And if he did, I would feel so embarrassed. And it's like, it's not talked about, like a male is not really equipped to, I don't have to say they're not equipped to coach teens, but like, 
they don't know, like they're just telling you what they know and what they've been, like they've learned and maybe they're former athletes and this is what worked for them. But like a teenage girl that's going through puberty, it's not the same. And a, a male coach is probably like at a loss. Like, well, I don't know. How to do it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that's the biggest thing. Like I'll get questions and I'll go do workshops. And so what we've really established is when you bring in a new athlete or at the beginning of the season of high school, you always have a wellness check, right? You have to go yeah. through those wellness checks. So putting in there just a couple of questions about menstrual cycle, have you had it? Have you had it and lost it? Is it regular? That just becomes part of it. And then every time you show up to practice, for the most part, there's another wellness check to make sure there's no injuries or illnesses. So we've put in a, a stoplight effect where it's red, yellow, green. So we go red is a few days before the period or your period has started. Yellow is, a, you know, you're feeling flat because your PMS and green is good to go. So the conversation doesn't have to be had, but everyone's aware. Yeah, I And we're finding it. that's really good for being able to broach that because you also have parents who might not feel comfortable if the male coach is asking their daughter about okay. that. So it all takes the scope onto wellness and making sure everybody is healthy, but not having that, do you have your period? So, you know, it takes that onerous yeah. off that conversation. It makes it, yeah, red, yellow, green. It's easy. Yep. I never thought about it as a woman athlete. Um, let's talk about period power. Like, there's a peak yeah. time, and that's 10 days before you start your period where you're just, like, killing it. <laughs> you're feeling great. Yeah, that's you're bulletproof. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah, so when we look at how the um, hormones fluctuate across the menstrual cycle, we say day one is the first day of bleeding. This is when estrogen and progesterone are at the lowest point. And then up to about ovulation, those hormones are relatively low. Estrogen starts to come up around day seven or eight before you have ovulation around day 13, 14. So when those hormones are low, this is where you can really hit it hard and you can recover well. Your core temperature is lower. You have more mojo, all of the great things that you want for really hard sessions. Mm -hmm. Now around ovulation, with the surge in estrogen, you also have a peak of testosterone. So this is why women feel like they can nail it hard, do another really hard session and recover well. And then you start going to more steady state before the few days before your period, and that becomes more deloading or mobility work, functional training, taking care of yourself before you can hit it hard again. So it's more of a like a natural periodization across the menstrual cycle. And when you start doing that and working with your physiology and with the way your hormones work, then you get better lean mass development, you have more energy availability, you have better motivation, less incidences of mood disorders, better um, PMS alleviation, so you don't have as many symptoms, you're actual bleed pattern can become lighter. So there's so many things when you're reducing overall stress and working with the way your body works with the, with the hormones, you start seeing so much more out of your training without having to put that much more into it. Yes. And I would just, I would never think about, I would just do the same thing. And you talk about like adapting to certain exercises. Like I would just run and like try to PR like every day so it was like the yeah. it was the beginning of my cycle I, I was never cognizant of it and it's like if you just do it smart and like if you're training for a race or something and you do that your day is like trying to PR pre or 10 days before your period then you're more likely to not be tired and to hit those PRs and then kind of take right. take a break and relax a little bit which is not going to hurt you anyway and for so long I would work out for seven days a week never take a rest day. So I never saw the benefits of my workout because you're, you're tearing down your muscles when you work out and then you never give them a day to back, like build back up stronger. And that's the whole point. I would just right. do it day. And I learned yep. that 
like I'm about to be 40, like 37, I would say I figured out that maybe that's not the right thing. And I've been with yeah. trainers and coaches playing sports my whole life. And nobody told me that. And that's what I was like, I have to write a book. I don't have any, I'm not a, obviously I don't have a PhD like you. I'm not a trainer. I'm not a nutritionist, but here's what I figured out. And I was a woman that was on the treadmill for seven days a week, eating salads, 20 pounds heavier. And now I have made, I, I have to ask you about this. I have made it to what I believe is my set weight, where my body's supposed to be at. And Dr. Mm -hmm. I, I don't like to say it sometimes because people are like, what do you eat in a day? Like do a post of what you eat all day. And I'm like, I don't want to tell you because I don't eat super healthy and I don't, I eat all the time. And I, I don't want to tell people to do that because I feel like I've gotten to the point. I've gotten back to my set weight and now I can eat that way, but I have been able to maintain this. I don't know if there's wood that I can knock on. I have been able to maintain this through two pregnancies, a 20 pound weight loss, eating literally whatever I want and working out four to five days a week versus working out seven days a week, being super restrictive and obsessive about exercise. And I was 20 pounds heavier. So is that yep. a thing? Like once you get to your set point, can you? Totally. Yeah. 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 So once you, once you get to a point where you have enough energy coming in to support just what your body needs in a day, so you're resting metabolic rate. So that's like lying on the couch, doing nothing. Yeah. Maybe picking up the remote for Netflix. <laughs> if you have enough there, and most women sit around 14 to 1800 calories, and that's just lying on the couch. Then when you start adding in getting up and doing daily chores or going to work or running after the kids, that adds more calories. So, you know, you need to think about, well, what is your daily stress about? And then when you add training onto it, it's even more calories. Yeah. So again, it's not calories in, calories out, but it's being aware how much you use in a day. So this gives you the availability to eat more. And don't be so restrictive because we know that a lot of the restrictions and you're eating just salads or you go through and you're eating a lot of the sport nutrition protein bars and protein shakes, it's not valid nutrition. So your body isn't getting all the different cofactors it needs and your gut microbiome suffers. So when you start eating a wide variety of different foods, you're not restrictive, then you have energy availability, your gut microbiome is sound. So that also helps maintain lean mass and mood and all the positive things that you get out of it. And then you have this reduction in stress of not being stressed out about you know, what you ate in a day, are you gonna find a gym when you're on vacation? Yeah. How are you gonna fit in, right? All those things. That. I'm on vacation. I'm like, I have to get a run in. Like I, yes, I don't think like yeah. that anymore. And I weigh less and I'm happier. It's so yeah, like, counterintuitive. but I know, know, but it's I, great. Yeah. You're making me think too. Like if you're just, if you just honor your hunger cues, it's, it's intuitive eating. If you are hungry, eat. I spent so right. long just starving and I'm hungry. And I'm like, that's a good thing. Like, I'm not going to eat. I'm saving my calories or like, just zoning out because I would wait till a lunch or something. I wouldn't snack. Now it's lunch. Now I have this big ass lunch and I'm watching Netflix and I'm just eating my lunch and I'm not even checking in and eating until everything's off the plate. If you just eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're satisfied, you check in and you're like, am I satisfied? I don't need to finish the whole meal if I'm satisfied. And it sounds so basic and so simple. That is what changes. So yeah. It's intuitive eating. And I feel like intermittent fasting is all the rage now. Like, don't eat for these certain hours. And it would be very hard for me to ignore my hunger cues now that I've started to actually like honor them. Listen. Yeah. Yeah. Should, yeah. should women be intermittent fasting? No, no. If you want to intermittent fast, then stop eating after dinner 
and then eat breakfast because then that will give you your 12-hour fast. <clears throat> but when you're looking at intermittent fasting, um, if you're doing it because you're sedentary and unhealthy, there is a rhyme and reason for it. Like there is a place for it. But if you are healthy and you're lean and you're exercising, there is no time and place for it um, for women or for men. So what happens when you're not getting enough calories, especially if you're exercising, you end up with muscle wasting like sarcopenia. There's a couple of studies that came out about six or eight weeks ago on this, looking at lean men and women. And they're like, yeah, if you're not, if you're fasted training or doing intermittent fasting, because you're not getting the energy in when your body needs it, there's a down regulation of satellite cells for muscle development. So you end up with sarcopenia or weaker muscles. And then when we look at um, like endocrine function, when you don't have enough calories coming in as a woman, then it's neurophysiology where it down regulates what we call kisspeptin. And there are two areas in the brain of kisspeptin for women because we have a luteinizing hormone surge and we have menstrual cycle. There's only one in men. So the sensitivity of not enough calories is way more sensitive in women than in men. So if you have go into fasted training or you're not eating in a certain time when your body needs energy, then you start down-regulating everything. And this is why your metabolism slows down, why you start losing lean mass, why you put on the cereal body fat and body weight doesn't come off. So then when you start adding exercise onto that, it just, just keeps going and going in this downward spiral. Wow. You just made me think of that too with fasted cardio. Like if you're intermittent fasting and I have friends that they, their eating hours are like noon to seven, which it's crazy. Doesn't your metabolism start going when you have breakfast? Like you break the fat. Yeah. That. So if you're working out before noon, that's fasted cardio or a fasted workout. And I have had trainers on the show that have been like, yeah, fast. And then you'll, you'll get more out of your workout. But I'm like, I couldn't do my workout if I didn't. Mm -mm. And the other thing about fasted training is people say, well, if you're doing fasted training, then it teaches your body to burn more fat. But when we look at that, the sex differences between men and women for, from a metabolism point of view, women use more um, amino acids and fatty acids, and they use blood sugar, not muscle glycogen. So if we're looking at fasted training, not only are women predisposed to using fatty acids, one, estrogen makes them use more fatty acids, but two, in the muscle itself, we have more of the coding proteins for using fatty acids. This is why we don't use as much carbohydrate from the muscle with the liver. We use more from the blood. So if you're fasted training and you don't have blood glucose, one, you're not going to hit intensities that you want to hit. No. You're clearing one of your primary fuels out. And then your body's already primed for, for using fatty acids, so it's a moot point to keep trying to train it to use fatty acids because we're already at that max capability. For men, it's a different story. So for men doing fasted training might be beneficial for increasing their fat metabolism because they burn through carbohydrate and then a little bit of protein, and then they get more into fat. So upregulating the way that your body uses fat during exercise is beneficial for men. And again, the threshold for your calorie intake is different between men and women. So this is where the fitness industry fails again. Yes. Yeah. It's like, this is so necessary. You just hear, this is what you do to burn fat. No, this is what men should do. And this is what women should do. That's the thing when you said too about carbs, like that's the first thing that we drop. It's like, I have to lose weight. I, I, I got to get carbs out. I saw something, there's a carbs cortisol connection which cortisol just makes me think stress hormone, you hold on to fat. 
And if you lose, yeah. if you're not eating carbs, you could have more cortisol. Is that a thing? Yep, totally. Yeah. That we're not taught. Yeah. <laughs> we're not taught that. We're taught. Yeah. No, you don't eat carbs, and your body uses more fat. You burn more fat, like the yeah. fat burning from the eighties, right? Yeah. It's so not true. Not yeah. true. And yeah. I want to ask you too, when you're just talking about fasted cardio, there's another aspect to it. You have to eat after a workout. And there's a short yeah, totally. time. And did I, I feel like I read that there's a different window of time for a man to eat after training versus a woman. You talk about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, women's metabolism comes back down to baseline within 90 minutes. Men might take three to 18 hours, depending on what kind of exercise they did. So right there. Right. So if we're looking at maximizing recovery, women need to eat protein with a little bit of carbohydrate as soon as possible within 30 to 45 minutes after exercise, especially if you're doing depleting exercise like cardio. For men, again, the wind is a little bit wider. The other thing about it is if you delay your calorie intake post-training, you stay in a catabolic state or breakdown state. So you're not going to start any reparation process until you bring some food in. We know that even if you eat enough calories in a 24-hour period to meet what your body needs, but it's bookended on either end of the day and you have this big amount of time in the middle of the day, especially post-exercise where you're not eating, you stay in this catabolic state, it's just the same as not eating enough. So your body just breaks down, cortisol goes up, you get that down regulation like you're in a low energy state. So it's fuel before and after your workouts. Like that's the biggest thing that women need to do. And then you can play around with the types of foods and stuff that you eat the rest of the day if you need a little bit of calorie restriction. But don't do it in or around training. That's the worst possible time if you want to make any kind of adaptations and gains. And I was so frustrated and I just, I thought I was doing it the right way. And I would... I would be so hungry and be like, no, fasted cardio. And then be like, afterwards, be like, well, it's almost lunchtime. I'm just going to save my calories till lunch. And that was like the sweet spot of eating, but I wouldn't eat because it was like, at the end of the day, it was less calories. And I believed that like it was calories. It was less calories for the day. And my body was starving and my body shut off and it just held on. Yep. It's like, you're starving. You're not going to put enough in. We're going to hold on to everything. And as soon as a trainer at my gym was like, you need to eat more. And I finally was like, what the hell else do I have to lose? I've been like struggling for two decades from 16 to 36 with like up and down eating disorders. I started eating and I felt hungry. And I like I eat now if I eat breakfast and then I'm hungry an hour later, I eat another breakfast. And before it would be like, you can't, you just had breakfast. You can't, I can't, I can't have another breakfast. It was just like how I was programmed and it wouldn't, it, it didn't serve me how do you get past the eating super when you work out first thing in the morning and what would you recommend eating do you see that one yeah so there are a lot of people who can't eat when they first get up right so it doesn't have to be a lot it can be something like um what i do and is a protein fortified latte so i'll have two shots of espresso uh or cold brew some almond milk, scoop of protein powder, and then I'll put a little bit of maple syrup in it in the morning. Mm. So then I'll drink that and go. So I get some protein, some carbohydrate, a little caffeine boost. And this is before 6 a.m. swim squat or something like that. Um, it could be a half a banana. It could be half a piece of toast. It doesn't have to be a lot. It has to be enough just to bring your blood sugar up and to get the body to realize that, yeah, there's some calories available. And then you have your breakfast after your training first thing in the morning, especially if it's super early. But if you have availability, so you're training at nine, but you get up at 
like six because you have to get up, get the kids out the door, do the school dropout, and then you go work out, have breakfast, and then have a small snack before you go do your training at nine or nine thirty. And the small snack again could be a banana, it could be a half a piece of toast or a full piece of toast, it could be a hard boiled egg. Um, yeah, something that's going to just bring your blood sugar up. So it doesn't have to be a lot. Yeah. I, I have to take my, my daughter starts school at 740. So I'll eat like a protein bar or something in the car on the way, just have something in my system. As soon as I get back from dropping her off, I do my workout and then I have breakfast after my workout. So you don't have to yep. look at it as like a sit down breakfast, anybody that's struggling with that. And then as a mom, like it saves time to have your breakfast in the car or have your pre-workout fuel in the car. So it's like, yeah. Um, yeah. And you could split your breakfast as well. So a lot of people are like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not sure I want to put in those extra because it's still a mental thing, right? Split your breakfast. So you have half before, half after that will fuel your workout and then it will still make you hungry for lunch. Yes, exactly. And that's, that's a great question. Girl Champion Project. What is the difference between fueling a woman who is a runner versus a weightlifter? Carb heavy for a runner? Or am I just assuming that? <laughs> Well, when we look at running, it is very much a fuel-depleting workout. So it can be mixed macronutrient for both. So the important thing is post-exercise. When we look at running, if it's over an hour, then you definitely have to make sure you get carbohydrate and protein within that 40, 30 to 45 minutes. If you're doing resistance training and you eat breakfast before, then your post-exercise um, recovery can be really small and just be protein-oriented. So it could be your protein shake. It could be some yogurt. It doesn't have to be a full meal um, because it's not absolutely fuel-depleting unless it's over 90 minutes. So if your resisting training um, session is over 90 minutes, then it's the same kind of thing. When we think about um, endurance running and resistance training, because our fuel needs and the way our body fuels itself is different from men, we do need some protein and carbohydrate, regardless if we're doing strength training or we're doing endurance. So yeah, I wouldn't really change so much. I just make sure that you do eat something before. And since we're breaking down like protein and carbohydrates is making me obviously think of macros. Is that different for men than women? Like following macros and being like diligent about hitting your macros. Is that what a woman should be doing? I, I get asked this question a lot and I'm not a huge believer in it because then it makes us focus too much on food and what we're eating and did we get the right numbers in. I tell women, you want to put a pref precedence on protein because by and large, most women don't get enough protein. And even if you're in a slight calorie deficiency, if you have enough protein, you don't fall into a low energy state or the repercussions of it and you maintain your lean mass. Get your carbohydrate from fruit and veg, maybe some um, whole grains, sprouted bread, but don't sit and be like, how many macros do I have for breakfast, for lunch, for dinner? What's the whole thing over the day? Because that puts that focus so much on same thing like calories and the quality mm -hmm. of the food. So it's really just, you know, aim for protein, take protein, make sure that becomes a precedence and you're, and it's good. Okay. So we, we've um, hit on food. I've um, been a little anxious to ask you this question, but I have to ask and please tell me the truth. Um, my brand is squats and margaritas. <laughs> I live a balanced lifestyle. I go hard in the gym, but I enjoy cocktails daily. How bad is alcohol uh, for a woman trying to lead a healthy fit lifestyle? And you can- In moderation. 
Moderation, man. We always go by the 80-20 rule, right? So 80%, you're spot on, 20% for life. Because if you don't enjoy all the things that life has to give you, then it's extra stress. And food isn't just about fueling the body. There's so much wrapped up in food and alcohol, right? It's the cultural thing. It's the socializing. There's all of those things that are in it. And if you're downing like three or four margaritas a night, which I don't think you are, then we'd have a problem. But if it's a social thing. Why I not? I have found this and I share it. I don't know. Like, it's just, I share what works for me. Again, I'm not a professional in anything. I have a cocktail or two every day. And because I do that, it makes it less like tempting and less like enticing. It's like, I have a cocktail. I have a glass of wine. I have like a beer. I, I eat lunch at like two or three because of all my breakfast. (laughs) So I have like a beer with lunch and then I'll have a glass of wine with dinner. And I do that every day. So it's like, I never like hung over like, oh my God, I overdid it. But before it would be like, I would have like drinking nights. It'd be like, oh, I'm not drinking during the week. And then like you go out on Saturday night and it's like, well, I'm gonna have a bottle of wine because it's my drinking night. Then you're out of commission on Sunday. You can't train, you're, you're hungover. And you go hard and you go too much. But when you make it a part of your lifestyle, it's not as enticing anymore. And it makes you just, it's just like a thing that you have. So you don't overdo it. You don't have to overdo it because you have it every time. Same as cheat days. I hate, I hate cheat days. The whole concept of cheat day. You eat so clean and then you can have a cheat day. It's like, no, nothing's off limits. It's not a cheat day, right? It could be a recovery day and you like things and you have it. But just know that it might make you feel a bit off when you start training the next day, but you know, have something every day that you enjoy. You made me think, I think I 80, 20, my, my every day, like I in the yeah. morning with my coffee, I need something sweet. I have like a chocolate chip cookie or something with my coffee, but I eat it earlier in the day before my workout, but I need it and I'm not going to skip it. And then it's like, if I go to a happy hour with my girlfriends and I don't drink at dinner. So I make like swaps, like I balance it out by, yeah. I have another one, like at lunch, like I always tell people like, how do you, like, what do you eat at Chick-fil-A? Like I get a grilled chicken sandwich and I, I don't need the bun, like, or I'll eat like one part, one bun. Like I don't need the top bun, but I need some fries. So I will have a handful of fries and like forego something you don't really need to have and have it you want. Or so I'll I'll do that so I can have a beer and it's all just, you're not feeling deprived. So you're not going to quit. It's not a quit like diet plan. It's not a diet. It's a lifestyle. Total choice. Yeah. Yeah. Balanced living changed everything for me. You're not in a constant state of obsession, like obsessing about, like I would go to a wedding and be like, oh my God, like wedding cake. So I'd have a bite of it and it was like, I blew it. I might as well eat the whole cake because I'll just start over on Monday. But if you live a balanced lifestyle, there's no starting over. You're not as obsessed and you're not holding on to all the cortisol and the stress, which belly fat and all the things that was working against me when I was being so strict. And I I found it like 20 years after the struggle of like all the restriction and obsession. It was like at 37, I was like, now I I don't work out as much, but I do go hard in the gym. I lift heavy and I I have cocktails every day. And before I'd be like sugar and carbs and and I'm 20 pounds lighter and I enjoy my life. So- They're perfect. Yeah, Yeah, perfect. How did it take me 20 years to get here? It sounds so simple, but it was like, that was not what I was taught and what women are taught. No, no. And I've been pushing this for 20 years and it's just now getting some uptake. So there might be a correlation there. (laughs) I know, and I know I'm running out of time. This is kind of like a shift. Um, You're reading about when you're saying like, 
a like professionally trained at Olympic female athlete is not going to be able to compete with a Olympic male athlete. Some of the people that are on here are going to remember this like two years ago, on the 4th of July, after many margaritas, many margaritas, my husband, um, just for context is <laughs> he played in the NFL for nine years and was a pro bowl linebacker. And okay. I big guy. <laughs> he's a guy and I challenged him to a race. And Dr. Stacy, like, I believed, I'm like, this is in my mind, like, this is how I rationalized it. He retired in 2009. He doesn't really run anymore. I run every day and I like, I win all the running competitions at my gym. So let's race. And I'm like drinking margaritas. He's like, I don't want to race you. Like, get away from me. And I was like, let's race. So he was like, I'll race you. Fine. And I believed that I had a shot. <laughs> like, I, I put on my tennis shoes. I got out there. And it was like, he smoked me in front of my friends and family. And I was so like, I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't confident that I would win, but I, was, I thought he was gonna be like, wow, you're really fast. Like it was not even close. And he had retired <laughs> and prior. And so me like reading like that in your book, I, I can't compete with him obviously, even when he's not in his prime. But my question is, Allison Felix, like could she, she could beat my husband, right? Or is it not, or no, because he's a man. Yeah, no. So it it's comes down to when we look at um, fitness and lean mass, if they're matched, then the sex differences start to disappear. So Allison Felix definitely could beat your husband. Yes. Even though she's well-trained. She's probably a football player, male. She yeah. 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 I set that up, Allison. <laughs> Let's there you go. <laughs> I'm going to bring it, Allison. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay. So she could be. Not, so when you get to the point of like, but if he was a runner, then it would be a problem. But because he's a retired professional. Then it would be different. Okay. I got you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, sex differences with the gut before I lose you. Like there's a gut question yeah. and I knew nothing about that. What do we need to know there? So when you're looking at like over the counter probiotics that everyone gets so crazy about, oh, I need probiotics, probiotics. Um, they don't really do anything. And the other thing is most of the strains come from maybe two companies and they cause a lot of fatigue for women and a lot of mood disruption. So what we really want to think about is eating a lot of fibrous fruit and veg because that feeds our deep gut bacteria. And the more that we eat that, especially as women, the more that we are feeding the bacteria that produces the enzymes and the cofactors for estrogen, for brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which is what keeps our brains healthy, um, controls serotonin, dopamine. So when we look at the amount of fibrous fruit and veg that women need as prebiotics, we need more than men because wow. we have more of a complex endocrine system. And we know things like um, concussions, are different between men and women. And so if we're looking at uh, concussions in premenopausal women, if we get hit in the high hormone phase, uh, recovery is much delayed because of an interaction between what the deep gut is saying to the brain and brain metabolism. So ditch the over-the-counter probiotics, eat lots of prebiotic foods. So apples with the skin on, Jerusalem artichokes, sunchokes, um, leafy greens, all those great things, right? I and then bought, save your money. <laughs> I bought, I saved a little bit. I bought two for one probiotic gummies at Walgreens today. 
because it was like tip yep. one and I just have all these probiotics because I figured that's what I am supposed to have. My energy, Dr. Stacy, like I sleep, I get nine hours of sleep. Like at 9.30, I, I can't make it another second and I love to go to sleep. Like it's like the best, I'm, I'm just tired. Like I, I'm not like racing around, I, I sleep. And when my alarm goes off at 6.20, I am dead to the world and I am not ready. Like nine hours does not seem to <laughs> be enough for me. And I, what am I like, I don't know. Like it has to be my diet. Like if I'm sleeping nine hours a night, that should be sufficient. Poor sleep. Poor sleep. It should be. But we know that um, a lot of people will say, oh, I am in bed for nine hours. I'm getting really good sleep. But they don't get into the deep wave sleep that you need to get into to feel rested. Part of it is how close to bedtime do you eat your last meal? Usually it's two hours or longer. Okay. So we don't interfere with rest and digest okay. because if your body's digesting food, then it doesn't activate parasympathetic so much. Doing some deep breathing and mindfulness stuff before bed. So you're activating parasympathetic, um, your parasympathetic system so that you can get into that deep wave sleep. And across the menstrual cycle too, you'll have perturbations. So we know that estrogen crosses blood ba brain barrier. It interferes with serotonin. We know that core temperature goes up in the high hormone phase. You can't actually drop into the temperature you need for really deep restful sleep. Wow. So you can do things like drinking cold tart cherry juice before bed or using some adaptogens to get into that parasympathetic, cooler temperature, deep sleep that you need. Oh my God. So don't eat dinner after this and don't go watch Bachelor in Paradise in bed and then turn off the TV and go to sleep, which is right. what I would have done. Okay. But I'm hungry again. Like I had dinner with my husband at seven and I'd like, I'd be getting ready to go to bed soon, but I'm hungry again. Should I, is it just something that I need to get into the pattern of not eating at night? So I'll get used to it, but I'm hungry. Sort of. But the one thing we know that does not interfere is casein protein because it gets out of the stomach and intestines so quickly. Okay. So you can have a casein protein shake before bed. And that really helps. The other thing, um, aside the casein, but some women get hypoglycemic at night because of misinformation about eating. And this also perturbs sleep. For you, I don't think it's so much that. I think it's more you need a snack that's not so heavy on the digestion. So try a casein shake or something like that. Hey, thank you. There's only two little things that I didn't touch. That I just want to know alkaline water. I drink it every day. Is that something we should be looking for? Is that something that's targeting? It's supposed to be just for men. Like should women be looking for alkaline things like alkaline? No, 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 not at all. Our bodies are really, really good at keeping balance. So, oh. um, yeah. Um, we have kidneys and we have the liver and all of those are there for maintaining a pH. So when you're looking at alkaline water, when you're looking at all of that kind of stuff, it's pointless. It's pointless because your body has its own filtration system. And if we were out of balance, then we would be very sick. So is that the same answer for collagen? <laughs> collagen water? No, collagen is a different story. Oh, Collagen is a completely different story. So collagen and creatine, both really good for women. Really? So creatine, yeah. So creatine, not so much from the bodybuilding set. <laughs> so, um, you know, we always hear about stacking creatine with carbohydrate and taking 20 grams per day and you have the weight gain and all that kind of stuff that comes with it. That is specific to men. That's specific to the bodybuilding set. But for women, just taking a very therapeutic three to five grams per day 
it enhances our gut health. It helps with intestinal um, integrity because it keeps the uh, mucosal lining so you don't get leaky gut. It enhances our cognition. It enhances our brain. We store 70% less than what, or we have 70% of the stores that men have. So when we're topping up our creatine, it also improves our anaerobic and fast twitch capabilities. So it's not just about athletic performance. There's also been some trials looking at using serotonin reuptake inhibitors for depression versus creatine because creatine is used for really quick energetics. Like the brain is very, very heavy in glucose and, and fast energetic metabolism. When they're looking at using creatine versus SSRIs, women who were taking creatine got out of depressive episodes faster than those using SSRIs. So there's a lot to be said about taking a therapeutic dose of creatine every day. Collagen, super important too, because we start losing collagen uh, after the age of 20. And then when we get into peri and postmenopause, man, it's a real fast downward spiral. So it's really depending on what you wanna use. Are you looking to improve joints? And this is where you're looking at peptides versus native collagen. So if you're looking at the whole collagen, it doesn't get digested, but it causes a immune response so that your body will stop breaking down its own cartilage. And if you stack that with um, type 2 peptides, then those type 2 peptides get absorbed in our target tissues to go to um, tell the body to start regenerating cartilage and collagen in the joints. So it's really beneficial. Anything about hair and skin is the same thing. It's like, well, what kind are you using? You want to use peptides type 1 and 3 for hair and skin, muscle. But if you're looking for joint health and help with your joints, then it's the type twos, but both the full collagen and the collagen peptides. Wow. Somebody asked, um, can you get enough collagen from dietary sources or you, do you need a supplement? You don't need a supplement. Um, if you're uh, eating organ meat on a regular basis, doing bone broth on a regular basis, um, mm -hmm. eating fish with bones on a regular basis, which is hard. A lot of people don't like it, right? So the stuff where you're getting the collagen is not something that you're normally going to get in a daily diet. Um, yeah, so supplementation is probably the way to go. Right. If you're plant-based or vegan, there's no such thing as vegan collagen. So you have boosters. So you want to make sure you're getting vitamin C, you're getting zinc, copper. Copper is super, super important for tendons. Um, so just be really aware of what you're getting in your label. Really quickly, should I be plant-based or vegan? <laughs> should women what? Should women be plant-based, plant-based or vegan? Um, that becomes more of a cultural thing. Like there's no hit or miss. Like as you get into peri and postmenopause, having more plant-based options is way better for you because it just really enhances gut microbiome. Um, it helps with blood sugar control because we become more insulin resistant. Um, but if you aren't inclined to be vegan or plant-based, there's no reason for it. Being aware of a planetary, you know, impact and environmental impact. But if you're very cognizant of where your meat sources come from and all that kind of stuff, there's no, no reason why you shouldn't be. Fabulous. Thank you so much. Like I, you answered yeah. everything I wanted to ask you. I wanted to see also, is there anything coming up for you that you want to talk about or? Uh, <sighs> mm, there's so many things always. <laughs> right. Um, 
I know. So, I mean, we have our courses and I'm starting to do a lot of mini courses, which is why I can go bleh about collagen and protein and that kind of stuff. Cause we're focusing or I'm focusing on one topic that we get asked a lot, like iron supplementation, collagen, protein powders, how to read a label, um, creatine, all those kinds of things. Just have little short little courses for people to take. Um, and then our second book is coming out. I didn't, when is your second book coming out? I know. Uh, it's take, I feel like it's taking forever. It should have been out by now, but because of COVID, oh. it'll be out uh, beginning of the year. Oh my so God. it's all on Perry and postmenopause. I need that. Yeah. Write that down. There you go. Here, and then where do we get the courses, like the mini courses? On the website, drstacysims.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Squats and Margaritas podcast. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And I'll see you next week for a brand new episode of Squats and Margaritas. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the sleep number bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.